Are you surprised at all that Disney decided to get into the Nick Cage business? <laughs> um, I mean, no, because Disney- really, would you want him around your children? <laughs> no, actually, no, especially with the like way he's prone to explosions of rage and or joy out of nowhere. <laughs> he's got a very explosive personality. Yeah, in both directions. Yeah, and the hair is also scary. I mean, I'm not going to insult anyone's hairline. But uh, <laughs> if nothing else, the style is Yeah, the style of hair is, is sinister. Inherently sinister? Yes, I think so. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And today we are getting back in the cage when we discuss oh. National Treasure 2, which I did not realize was a Disney movie until I started watching it. I questioned uh, almost its choice for a minute when that Disney logo comes on, right? It's not too often that Disney puts something out that you would probably can. Looking back, I bet a lot of the Disney stuff didn't age that well. But like at the time of release. Yeah, watch a Song of the South sometimes. Oh, See how well that aged. Yeah, yeah. You can no. find it. There is a lot of Disney that hasn't aged well, right? Um, But in terms of what they put out, normally it would be hard to put it in the category of many of the movies we watch on here. Yeah, that's fair. There is a certain kind of level of quality that um, they usually... Yeah, Yeah. like Disney is going to put the money behind the editing and the sound and all of the other things, right? And that doesn't mean it can't be a bad movie when it has that stuff there. Uh, They put some money behind this, it looks like. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So we're going to talk all about it. But before we do, we got to pair that with a beer, right? We do. And I suspect that for me, the beer will be the most enjoyable part of this experience. What do we got today? (laughs) That might be true. Um, We are going to be drinking a Capital Light Lager. So if you haven't seen the National Treasure movies, you're going to find out after listening to this that much of it takes place in Washington, D.C., so much so in this one that he needs to break into the Oval Office. So Yeah. This has the Capitol building on the can, and this is from the Kushnog Brewing Company. They're out of Augusta, Maine. This whole company, and what I think is pretty cool and what kind of fits with this movie, too, is Kushnok is the indigenous or Native American name for the region that the brewery is from. So that's kind of why they name it. And they also hearken to the oldest surviving wooden fort left in America is there in the town. So the brewery sort of around the corner from it, and they even have a picture of that fort on their cans, all of their cans. And so they say that their brewery is kind of steeped in history, and that fits perfectly with our National Treasure movie. Here. Well, especially with Native American connections, the Native American uh, culture plays a large part in the plot of this ridiculous movie. Yeah, so this is kind of a almost coincidental home run, it seems. Like, we, we got it because of the Capitol Building connection, Yep. but the history connections and the Indigenous or, or Native American connections are perfect for our story here. So that's pretty cool. Now, this is going to be a light lager, yes. crushable. You might hear a bunch of cans pop during this. We got a, a sweet six-pack to uh, to share here. And they're regular-sized cans, not tall boys, so we'll probably mow through these in no time. Yeah, I'm excited. I think this will be a good way to uh, to enjoy some beers together today. I have had a couple of their other beers. Uh, they have a Dad Pants IPA, which uh, I enjoyed thoroughly. It both fit me as a father and as an IPA lover. <laughs> yes, and they have a sour ale called Axis of Sour, which I enjoyed very much. My brother, the uh, noted Star Trek Four fan, brought these back for us from a trip from the States. Yes, thank you to Coop's brother. It is appreciated. Yeah. All right, do you want to get into it? Oh, yes, please. Let's crack it. Jesus. So after the traditional Walt Disney and Jerry Bruckheimer intros, we begin our story in Washington, D.C. The date, April 14th, 1865, five days after the end of the Civil War. And much like in the Disney intro, there are many, many fireworks. People are very happy the Civil War is over, I guess. We quickly head inside a local bar where two men approach a guy named Thomas Gates. Now, he must be some kind of codesmith or sleuth because they ask him to try to solve a particularly difficult cipher. He does it, but not before realizing that these two men are traitors to the U.S. government. In fact, one of them is John Wilkes Booth. That was a surprise. (laughs) This starts hot. It kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, Had you seen the first one? No, but okay. I, I had to pick it up as I went along. So so this would have been new to you. I have seen the first one, and actually pretty recently. I watched it with my children a few weeks ago to get the groundwork for this, but also uh, to sort of uh, 
see if they would enjoy the style of movie. They actually watched this one with me too, so that might uh, tip you off on how children feel about it. But I know that Gates is Nicolas Cage's family. I did not know that until, the, I guess they tell us pretty soon. But yeah, yeah, so we're going to get that. So I know that this man is related to Nicolas Cage, and, and I know that he is sort of a noted treasure hunter and historian along with his father. The whole family is kind of cut up in this. So I'm not surprised that he's there solving a clue or cipher. It's kind of something that the family does well. I was shocked to find out that one of those two men, though, who are asking him to solve this puzzle is John Wilkes Booth. Yeah, he leaves that conversation to go kill Abraham Lincoln. And uh, Gates is noticeably confused after the other man, not Booth, shoots him. The war is over. You're wrong about that. The war has only just begun. Now, the last thing we see before we jump to the present is Gates laying on the floor dying while his young son cries over him. And not having seen this before, and even though I should have known it wouldn't make sense at the time, my first thought was, oh shit, does this kid grow up to be Nicolas Cage? <laughs> oh my goodness. I was off yeah. by a couple yeah. generations. Yeah, yeah, there's only two uh, generations between there. That would have been pretty hilarious. No, we do transition to present time, and that little boy who saw his father die is no longer alive. No, he's Nick Cage's great-grandfather, right? Yes. So Nick Cage is this Gates' great-great-grandson? Yes. Ben Gates is his name, and he is introducing an exhibit honoring Thomas Gates at some kind of museum or university or something. Gates is a hero, see, because if he hadn't ripped those cipher pages of John Wilkes Booth's diary, the Knights of the Golden Circle might have found a massive treasure that would have allowed them to restart their war effort. But not so fast as that Harris lurking in the crowd. Turns out his great-grandfather told him that Gates wasn't a hero at all. He was actually in cahoots with Booth and the other knights. And he's got one of the torn-out pages of the diary to prove it. So I don't know what to believe. <laughs> oh my gosh. So very quickly, we're into some like fantastic history, right? This is this movie... Very quickly. We're like four minutes in, and they have laid a lot on us here. Yeah, and it, the first movie does this too. Um, you You can see very quickly that we are getting like... History porn, almost, right, is how I would describe it. Like, it is sort of <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that, like, look at how awesome our history is, and we're going to just fucking push the edge of what would be acceptable. It would be not very fun, but hilarious to watch with a historian who grumbles the whole time about all the inaccuracies. I'm sure there's much of that. That might be fun, actually. <laughs> um, anyway, after taking a closer look at the supposed diary page, we head to a nearby Borders bookstore to meet the comic relief of this movie. This is Riley Poole, computer expert and now author, who is currently promoting a book about his adventures with Nick Cage in the first movie. But public interest is low. Everyone wants to meet Nick Cage, but not him. And the scene ends with his Ferrari getting towed and him chasing after it. This scene was pretty lame, but at least I won't have to spend any time trying to figure out who my least favorite character in this movie is. Riley Poole, <laughs> check. Yeah, so what I'm noting right here is that they are bringing everyone back. I wasn't sure getting into this one whether everyone signed up to do number two, and it appears to me that they have, right? All of the main characters from that first one are coming back. We've got his sidekick in Riley Poole. I understand why he's your least favorite character. This guy blows. Yeah, 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 he's not very good, I agree. Um, he kind of has the correct solutions and all the technology solutions, which Cage needs to be able to like pull off all of this shit. But he is not a very well-drawn-out character. And he is the exact same in this as he was in the other one. Um, we're going to soon see his father back. And we're also going to soon see... Cage's father. Yeah, Cage's yeah. father back. And we're also soon going to see his love interest from the first one. Absolutely. But before then, things get worse for Riley Poole. As it turns out that the Ferrari wasn't just towed. It was repossessed due to some incredibly shady accounting practices. Now, not one to be outdone, Nick Cage is waiting for him on his doorstep, having recently been kicked out by his girlfriend. They make quite a pair. And how do they choose to move forward after soberly reflecting on their shortcomings as men? By breaking into Nick Cage's girlfriend's house. <laughs> Used to be Nick's house. This was his house first, and then uh, his girlfriend, I guess, is getting it in the breakup. Yeah, he's handling this well. <laughs> so he uses uh, Riley to help him break into his own house. I guess she set up an alarm system that he needs his technical know-how to break in. They are actually looking for her passcode. Um, she, it's her ID badge. I yeah, think. and she works for um, the museum, the historical department, and they need to go in and get a look at this page. Nick wants to prove that this page is a fake because he needs to sort of support his great-grandfather. Great or great-great-grandfather? Great-great, I think. Yeah, double great-grandfather's uh, name. He wants the gate name not to be tarnished this way. 
He does, but in a classic case of bad timing, they're still in her house when she arrives home from a date with Phil from Modern Family. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty funny. Is um, he in the first one too? No. Oh. Uh, actually, no, sorry, he is. He he is there. He works uh, for the government. I think he's out of the White House. And he does make a small appearance. He doesn't have a major role in it, but I think they kind of use him in the first one like they do in this one. But he's there, and she's bringing him inside. Like, I'm pretty sure they're DTF at this point. I don't know. Their relationship, the kind of interplay, seems pretty platonic. Like, they're still kind of working it out. It does, but but she's bringing him back to her giant mansion after a night out. It definitely seems like they were going to at least extend the night a little bit. Um, of course, when they come in and they start talking, Nick appears. He shows up out of here, and he's straight c- blocks this situation here he doesn't want his ex uh going down with phil from modern family (laughs) no absolutely now she is pissed about him trying to steal her id but agrees to give him a look at the diary page in exchange for a couple of tables they bought together and after what seems like a very small amount of spectral analysis nick cage discovers the cipher on the diary page if he can just solve it he'll be able to prove his great great grandfather's innocence probably (laughs) <laughs> I mean, we do need uh, we need some more evidence, but he thinks that this is the way to save the family name. They solved this way too fast. Uh, that is probably the biggest complaint about this whole series. Somehow they know the answer to every problem almost instantly in every situation. Oh, it is 100%. Mu- well, actually, that might not be true. We'll get to some stuff <laughs> later that might change that. Uh, meanwhile, at the FBI, Special Agent Harvey Keitel is taking notice of these recent developments. A couple of young agents are like, LOL, Nick Cage's family killed Lincoln. But Harvey Keitel is suspicious. If this guy had the page for over a hundred years why reveal it now it's a good question if i was a betting man i'd say evil he's probably evil right at harris evil <laughs> he's definitely being set up as the villain right he's being set up uh looking for something the first movie is all about nick trying to find a treasure before other treasure hunters can and we get sort of a battle between nick and the other treasure hunters and so all i can assume here is that uh, ed harris is that character here right he is a rival historian or person hoping to find the same treasure he's trying to get nick to probably do the work for him because we know nick has all the answers uh so i'm thinking he's sort of setting him up here i think he might even know that besmirching his family name is the only way to get this moving forward see i assumed he was just one of the knights of the golden circle he's like a descendant of the fucking john wilkes booth gang and he's here trying to like basically restart the civil war although in hindsight that would be pretty aggressive for a disney movie <laughs> Might have made for a more interesting um, sort of plot. Oh, or God, big time, yeah. yeah. That would have been pretty cool. I kind of wondered if he was a part of that family, too, um, and he was just trying to get that going again. I guess if you find what we're going to find out soon is that they're looking for the lost golden city. Well, that comes up later, yeah. Back at the Gates residence, Nick Cage is trying to crack this cipher. He needs a five-letter code word, and it literally takes him less time to solve it than it did for me to say this sentence. <laughs> Get it right <laughs> yeah. And with that out of the way, yeah. it's on to the clues. Uh, La Boulade, Lady, the Statue of Liberty, but not the one you're thinking of. Apparently, there's three Statues of Liberty? Yeah, I, I learned something today. I didn't know this either. There's one in France. There's the one in New York City. And where was the third one? I don't think they ever say. Oh, I th- was it in Belgium? I don't know. I thought I they know. said. So, of course, we're going to transition to France and get some French humor. <laughs> yes. Uh, Riley uses a drone camera to find the hidden message on the French Statue of Liberty, while Nick Cage bonds with some local bike cops over a love of democratic government. Seriously, what is this movie? <laughs> I mean, most of the humor does come with, like, history or political uh, perspective to it, so it is kind of funny here. I I recognize the the cop, the bike cop, but I I was having trouble placing him. I looked familiar, but I couldn't place him either. I looked him up, and he is a very famous French actor. He's been in a ton of stuff. Gerard Depardieu. No. (laughs) No. Christopher Lambert. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're throwing back here to Highlander, are we? Yeah. Oh, I wonder he would have been uh, good as a bike cop, not so much as the Highlander. <laughs> well, this uh, this French policeman reads the message for them, translates it, giving Nicolas Cage all the information he needs to figure out the location of the next clue. It's on a desk made from the wood of an old British ship. And if they want to look at that desk, they're going to have to break into Buckingham Palace. <laughs> I can't believe this. Uh, when he works out here, the clue immediately in front of the two police officers, I was just laughing so hard. It says something about there being twins. And he knows that this ship, when it was wrecked,
effect was turned into two identical deaths. One sent to Buckingham Palace. Don't spoil the other one yet. Oh my God. Don't and the spoil other one yet. is Don't in a special it. place too. So we're going to find out about that one. But yes, yeah, so we're going from France and we're going to have to head off to England. Not too big a trip for them. No, not at all. Now, before that happens, we get a quick scene back home where Nick Cage's dad gets knocked out by a strange intruder. This is all a way for Ed Harris to tap the dad's cell phone. He's evil. What a surprise. So he can follow Cage to the treasure. And that's not the only person following Nick Cage. Who does he run into in Buckingham Palace? Oh, my goodness. So we're finding out here that we have a mercenary. Um, Ed Harris's character, we get a little background on him. He's a, he's a mercenary. He spent some time in the military. And he has his sort of henchmen with him now. Now this feels very much like the bad guy from the first one. They clone that phone, and then we transition back to England, and who shows up? Nick Cage's ex. What the fuck? Yeah, she's there. I guess uh, his dad told her that he was going to Buckingham Palace, and she decided to hop on a plane and meet him there, which yeah. would absolutely happen in real life. It was really random. Uh, I don't understand why she was there. Maybe she is still hurt because he blocked her, and she wants to confront him in front of the queen. She's there because they need a female lead in this movie. Yeah, this is interesting. I don't understand why they chose... For them not to be partners, but they chose for them to be like going through a breakup and they wanted both of them on the screen. Like It's all just setting up that big happy ending at the end, man. That's all this is. It's just another hurdle that they needed yes. to overcome to get to their solution. You just need some tension. You need a little tension here. One more thing for him to juggle. What I like is they really let Nick Cage loose in this one as he has to make a giant scene to end up in the Buckingham Palace lockup. He does this by starting an argument with his ex-girlfriend. He has a nice bit here about how he's always wrong. Well, let me guess. It's the wrong time. It's the wrong place. I'm wrong again. Wrong about us. Wrong about Thomas Gates. Wrong that you'd like the Queen Anne chair. Before going completely off the rails and yelling random food items at a guard. And I'll tell you, if I was questioning this casting beforehand, I am not questioning it now. Cage! <laughs> <laughs> this may be Nick Cage getting to fly off the handle the most in this movie. There's, oh, yes. This is the most Nick Cage you see. Yeah, scene, for sure. Yeah. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, as he's getting arrested, he's yelling, yeah, British food and slang at the Bobby as he keeps yelling and calling him. I saw he yells haggis at one point. Yeah. <laughs> he, he bangers and mash. He screams out, too, I'm pretty sure. So he's doing his best to get them arrested, and it's working. The The Bobby does not like being taunted about British stuff, and he doesn't like the accent that Nick's putting on. So we get a hilarious Nick Cage outburst. They get arrested as they wanted. So now they're in the jail. What, what's the play from here? Well, unsurprisingly, with Riley having hacked into the Buckingham Palace computer system, they manage to escape the lockup and make their way to the Queen's study, where they find out that the desk is not, in fact, a traditional desk, but rather an elaborate Chinese Chinese puzzle box. Now, this one actually gives Cage some difficulty, and by that I mean it takes him almost a full minute to solve the puzzle. Yeah, he identifies the creator of the desk as a like famous puzzle box creator, which is a very large leap, but he knows it, of course. And then he lays underneath it and figures out very quickly the drawers are the combination. He tests two fucking dates. Two attempts, and he breaks open this fucking desk. That's one more than he needs for all the other clues, yeah. to be fair. <laughs> it is literally double uh, the amount of time it takes him for the rest of this. Holy shit. So he knows the answer right away. He he gets it popped open, and they find this older piece of wood here. Yeah, it's a very old wooden carving, much older than the plot to assassinate Lincoln. He also finds Ed Harris outside of Buckingham Palace, who gets a little too close when tailing Cage with his goons. And now we get a fully Disney-fied car chase. <laughs> Despite some gunshots, them speeding through some very close quarters, literally no one gets hurt. It's all harmless fun. There's even a moment with some cute dogs. And Nick Cage uses his resourcefulness to temporarily get Ed Harris off his back. What he does is he runs a red light with a camera and holds the piece of wood up while he does it. Then, secure in the knowledge that Riley can hack into the British police system and get a copy of that picture, he throws the wood off a bridge or one of Harris's goons scoops it. This seems cool and all, but I don't know. Maybe just take a cell phone picture next time, you know? <laughs> I agree. Although he does ask if their cell phone works for taking pictures, and they say no in the car. Bullshit, he does it later in the movie. Uh, different phone. Oh, that's some horse shit. Well, the problem here is the dated cell phone technology, right? Like, this is one of those, if he had a smartphone, like, half of the problems he had would have been solved kind of thing. You know what? If he hadn't taken a picture later in the movie, I would have less of a problem with this. But the fact that he later on does that with the cell phone camera, I'm like, what the fuck? No, he literally asks his ex-girlfriend in the car whether her phone can take pictures and she says no and 
that's when he does the like drive through and get the red light camera. The throwing it off the bridge makes sense, right? He he sort of gets them off their tail and they're able to escape from there. The whole thing, though, all of that technology piece, all the Riley stuff, does fall pretty flat. Well, how the fuck can he hack into all these like mainframes? Get them out of there, but they can't take a cell phone picture. I feel like we've like a weird overlap of what was and wasn't possible. But at the time, I think people would have believed that. Now people are like, oh, come on. Fair, I guess, but we're watching it in the present, not the past. Well, I know. This is this is why technology or, like, hacking stuff doesn't hold up really well. It does not. Just watch Double Team if you don't believe me. <laughs> um, back at home, Cage takes a closer look at the traffic photo, but it's actually his dad who recognizes a symbol in there. This symbol is uh, something from the Native American history that points them towards what is known as the City of Gold. But translating the rest of this message is beyond Cage's dad's capabilities. Now, luckily, there is one person on Earth who can translate it. Unluckily, it's his ex-wife, Helen Mirren, making a cameo as Nick Cage's mom. <laughs> yeah. You're going to show that in the highlight reel of her career when it's over? <laughs> Doesn't make the Oscar reel, the in-memoriam, this Helen Mirren. This is her no? Indiana Jones moment, right? Like, this is all kind of a lame Indiana Jones. This is a Jones. fucking destitute homeless man's idiot yeah Jones. this yeah. is but that's kind of what this goes for right as a feeling it's it's sort of that kind of thing so maybe she has fond memories of those movies and it's hilarious and convenient that the only person who still knows this ancient language is his mother of course the extra bit of problem here is that it was a very ugly divorce or, or separation so they have to go now have two couples who are fighting with each other <laughs> that's true as a part of this we've got the old couple and the middle-aged couple doing I wonder it if now. they'll both work it out by the end of this movie i don't know is it a disney movie or not i'm not sure i'm wondering whether they're pulling this in for a grandparent audience like this is really a kid's movie they're bringing in the whole family but yeah they're trying to bring everyone who's watching it together give them a little bit of something and i think that's why we're going to helen mirren here the grandparents can point to her and be like see i can help yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) so they're gonna head off to visit her she's a professor of obviously language and history and uh, how does this go well she gets them part of the way there but it turns out they're only looking at half a clue they're going to need the second desk and nick cage knows where it is now he doesn't want to tell his dad for fear he'll overreact and we find out why when he tells him it's the resolute desk the resolute desk the resolute desk president's desk unfortunately yes did that mean wait so we have to the White House? The Oval Office, to be exact. Ha ha! We're off to the Capitol. Yes, so now we've got our connection with our beer. This sounds like a good time for me to crack another one. How is he going to get into the Oval Office and fuck with the president's desk? Well, luckily for them, Phil from Modern Family works at the White House. He's like a high-level Secret Service something, I don't know. And uh, so Cage's ex-girlfriend is going to use her feminine wiles to convince him to bring them to the Oval Office, which he does. And then she uses even more of her wiles to distract him while Cage checks out the desk. Oh, I dropped my earring. Is it over here? Is it over here? Just bending over all over the place. Oh, my God. And the dress she's wearing has her, like... It's a little low cut. ...falling out of her top, for sure, and flaunting those in Phil's face. Full disclosure, if I was Phil from Modern Family, I would have been distracted also. They'd be all up in the (laughs) Oval Office. (laughs) It's funny, because, I mean, they're broken up, but Cage still has feelings while all of this is happening. Um, But he doesn't mind her doing this so that he can go and look for the clue. No, he's very happy to fucking pimp her out for this. Yeah, (laughs) it just felt like a really weird scene. To me, it was uncomfortable because clearly she's still interested in Cage. Like, they still have chemistry and there's something there. Um, But she's willing to use poor Phil to uh, get what she needs from the Oval Office here. Yeah, this does the trick. And Cage gets a picture of the wood with a real camera. Still no cell phone camera, whatever. Anyway, there's no words on this wood, but there is a symbol. A secret symbol from the President's Secret Book. Now, I know what you're thinking. The President's Secret Book is an urban legend. Or is it? Oh, I don't know, but we better find someone we can ask. Who are we going to ask for this solution? Well, there's only one person to go to here. It's Special Agent Harvey Keitel, who confirms the secret book is, in fact, real. Cage asked if the FBI can get it for him. His response here is pretty great. The only way you'll ever see that book is if you get elected president. Well, you never know. Oh, <laughs> a Nick Cage presidency. Can we dream it? It would be hilarious. It would be yeah. one of the best um, presidential performances in the history of time. But how could you believe anything he would ever tell you? 
well, you wouldn't, but it would be said with such like ridiculous charisma that you would have to enjoy and laugh at everything that happened. <laughs> you want a president that everyone laughs at? I mean, we already had one of those, I'm pretty sure. Oh, but... Jesus Christ. All right, let's move on before we alienate more listeners. All right. Uh, either way, Ben Gates does not have the funding nor the time to run for president, so there's only one thing left to do. Kidnap the current president. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. He's not really going to kidnap him. He's just going to force him to hold a party at one specific hotel, then sneak into that party and tantalize the president into investigating a mysterious tunnel under Mount Vernon that was supposedly built by George Washington. And that's what he does, getting him alone in a small room in what has to be a massive, massive violation of Secret Service protocol. They would never have let him go in there by himself. The guy does try to stop him from going into this weird dark cellar with a creepy Nick Cage. This is my biggest problem with this movie. Really? There's no fucking chance he gets that far, that much access to the president, alone in a room, zero chance. It was interesting. The fact that he sneaks into the party and the president is cool with it is also an issue. Right. Um, and then the president makes a joke about his great grandfather assassinating presidents, which you're just like maybe too soon. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Right. Um, but the president here has a, a, a decent sense of humor. And he also seems like he's interested in this history. He wants to go down and check it out. Well, right? that's the thing. Luckily, the president is a huge treasure hunt nerd. Either that or he sees the inherent benefit in unearthing the largest Native American treasure that ever existed and returning it to the culture because he tells Nick Cage where to find the book. Turns out it's just sitting in the Library of Congress, which seems kind of dangerous for a book that literally contains all the nation's secrets. I mean, yes. Uh, we're going to find out shortly that it isn't just sitting out on the shelf. There is a, there's a bit more to that, but you're right. You'd think that that one would be some kind of safe somewhere, like locked away under secured guards. A lot of people could have walked in there and found that book if they put a little effort in, I feel. Yeah, yeah. So he, he needs the code to get into sort of like this secret presidential area the president of gives to the Library of Congress. So the president gives it to him. He also tells them, though, that he's kind of fucked. Like, he, the president's not going to be able to prevent the people from coming after him to arrest him. Oh, no. If you're keeping score at home, Nick Cage is now wanted for kidnapping a president, and the entirety of American law enforcement is looking for him. But despite that, he manages to walk right into the Library of Congress, where, as you mentioned, he finds... Nothing. The book isn't there, or at least it's not in the shelf. It's in a hidden shelf that Cage immediately discovers and unlocks. So now it's time to play a little game called How Fast Can You Read? <laughs> yeah, as they find the book, people start pouring into the Library of Congress, right? Those people who are trying to arrest him. So he needs to pull some stuff. The president mentioned that he needs to look at page 47, and he does take a picture of that using his cell phone. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> he brought the good cell phone this time. They didn't have it when they were in France and England. Uh, so he has a picture of this, and then he also finds a picture of the other half of this sort of uh, Native American transcript, the thing that was giving him the information or the clue to this lost city of gold. So he's got that, and he has a picture of 47, but they have to escape here. They definitely do, but as you mentioned, Cage has discovered a picture of the second thing. He's also read enough to figure out that England was collaborating with the Confederacy due to their love of British rule and cotton, and that Mount Rushmore was an elaborate cover-up to hide the landmarks on the treasure map. So that's where they're headed next. Now, unfortunately, Nick Cage sends a picture of the picture of the tablet yeah. to his dad, <laughs> which means that now Ed Harris has it, and he calls his dad to remind him that only his mom can translate it. That last part seemed pretty unnecessary. Yeah, that was tough. Now Ed Harris knows that the only person who knows the language is his mom. I laughed so hard at that Mount Rushmore thing. That Mount Rushmore was a cover-up? Yeah, that, that them mean? putting that on there was covering up the real map to the lost city of gold. I guess it used to be on the mountain there, like the mountain or the clues. Well, that was it. the landmark they could yeah. use it, yeah. And so they're hiding it by building Mount Rushmore. I also thought that was an interesting dig at the monarchy there, saying that the queen was uh, trying to work with the Confederacy to continue slavery and the cotton trade. And uh, I thought... That was, yeah, because yeah, when I think of the Confederacy, I think of a bunch of guys that would be totally fine with British rule coming back. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> know, no problem. So yeah. Yeah, so Those that guys was, don't strike me as people who love freedom, you know. So, so it was a strange um, strange kind of put in there. I thought that was interesting. Someone who was writing it wanted to, to sneak that in there. I, it's at this time I'm asking my kids if they're enjoying the movie. Because it's kind of gone off the rails here. It seems kind of batshit. And then my daughter is like, Dad, it's a movie. It's not supposed to be believable. 
Well, I'm glad she feels <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, you're down for all of Nick Cage's madness, then. That's what I've learned about yeah. my child. Well, I'm glad she feels that way because Cage and everyone else manages to get out of the Library of Congress despite it being absolutely crawling with FBI. And because the guy at the front gate raised the three-foot-tall barricade, nobody is able to stop them from driving away. Not only that, I guess the entire FBI was in there also, as nobody is patrolling any of the other streets, there's no roadblocks, nothing. This seems like an appropriate response for someone who kidnapped the president. Yeah, it does make all of the people working to protect the country seem very incompetent. Once they're out of the parking lot, they're fucking gone. They're home free. I thought there were helicopters at first, but they Why clearly, aren't there helicopters? I thought there were, but they don't track them after they escape from the parking lot of the Library of Congress. No or, one tracks them. They drive right to Mount Rushmore unencumbered. And his ex-girlfriend is driving the car. We haven't seen they her. They see her car. She almost hits a guy when she pulls out. Yeah. They must be able to follow her. They even lose her bumper. It's not like this car is not trackable. That's we would very easy to spot. Yeah, yeah, we would have had a OJ Simpson style chase here at least at a minimum. Yeah. At oh my a minimum, God, sure. right? And we yeah. would have had that happen and we didn't even get one of those. No. So uh, they need to get to Mount Rushmore. They can't spend time talking to Nick Cage's mom. So he asks his dad to go talk to her for the translation. But what we see is that Ed Harris gets to her first. Now, Harris threatens her at gunpoint, or rather, he threatens her ex husband, which forces her to give Cage's dad bad information. Except when Harris takes her to Mount Rushmore armed with some clues that only he could know, thanks to an old letter from Queen Victoria to the Confederacy, Cage is there with the whole team, including his dad. So she didn't give him bad information? Yeah, no, she she uses some code words here, one of them being hummingbird, and I guess he understands what that means. Hummingbird. Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I don't know. They have Fuck. some kind of connection, uh, some kind of thing in their background. So she's able to relay that secret message. So when Ed Harris gets there with his mom... Uh, that Nick Cage and the full crew are there to negotiate teamwork. Yeah, Harris is like strangely fine with this. I might have been a little more upset with her if I was him, but I guess he knows he isn't a good enough treasure hunter to get there without Cage. So yes, they're going to team up, kind of. Ed Harris agrees to put all his guns away on one condition. He gets all the treasure and credit for finding the city of gold. But I guess Nick Cage can keep his great-grandfather's innocence. I'm sure Harris will stick to this deal. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, they don't really have a choice. Harris is the mercenary. We know that Cage and his group are not fighters, right? They're really good at solving puzzles and running away from all of the police and FBI <laughs> and yeah. Secret Service. But... They're not good at combat, so they're they're not going to take a physical fight here. I actually thought this negotiation, this conversation between Harris and Cage was one of the worst written or poorly acted parts of this movie. I struggled through this whole like scene where they're going to be like, I guess we're working together now. Yeah, I feel like everything in this movie, the acting, and as we'll see in a second, the realism, it just degrades as the movie goes along. They just have to, for moving the plot along, just accept a bunch of grievous like bullshit to make it work. I think so. Yeah. And as we see in the next scene, they quickly find this uh, city entrance and make their way in thanks to Cage deciphering Ed Harris's clues. This is the point where we exit the vaguely grounded world we've been operating in so far and enter what is essentially a Disney theme park ride. Or maybe ride is the wrong word. So picture a spooky cave full of cobwebs, booby traps, and a big CG floor you have to balance on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they pour a bunch of water on some rocks to find a secret entrance. They pull a secret switch that was inside of a rock to create a cave opening. And like you said, we are now in the creepy Indiana Jones style, like treasure cave. Is I what feel I this is something you would actually walk through in Disney World. Like, it just seems like that. It's that kind of thing. I'm like, this is we're no longer in a realistic world. There is a lot of CG here. For sure. Yeah, to, to make it work. They are exploring, but not being careful enough, and four of them fall onto this death trap floor. This is the one I think you're talking about, right? Yeah, it's this big floor where if you're not balanced, it will like tip and you will fall off. It's like something from a fucking Nintendo game from the 1980s. Yeah, so they are now on a platform video game, and they are trying to survive. They notice that there's some kind of like really old and broken-looking ladder that if they balance appropriately, they might be able to climb up. So we've got those four there. We've got Ed Harris, we've got Nick Cage, we've got Nick's ex, and we've got our comic relief character. They're stuck on this platform together. And then we have his two parents, the ones who always are were like worried about being together. They've been split up or divorced for like 30 years. 
and now they have their own little adventure here. It's not much of an adventure. They just wander through some dimly lit tunnels and remember why they fell in love in the first place. <laughs> uh, and now eventually they all manage to get off this balancing platform thing and they reconvene and Nick Cage turns a big wheel that drains a pool and he discovers the city of gold or at least a CG rendering of one. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot going on here. They Is have, there? Is there? They... They, of course, jump onto the ladder in the nick of time. It is like the last second there. So we have a bit of a Nick Cage pun to get out of there. This room where they shut off the water to allow the City of Gold to appear is sort of this kind of cool um, like waterfall room. We know that it's not going to go really smoothly from the end here, right? Because it seems like they're all celebrating. They find each other in this City of Gold. But we know it can't be that easy. No, no, definitely not. Hey, you'll never believe it. It turns out Ed Harris is evil. (laughs) They they faked us out for a minute there by having him apologize to Cage for smearing his great-great-grandfather's name. But once the cavern starts filling up with water, he reveals his true colors. See, there's only one way out, and as Ed Harris explains... Nobody leaves unless I say so. That door's not going to stay open by itself. We both know what has to happen here, Ben. One of us keeps the door open and stays behind. I vote Mitch. This isn't a democracy. (laughs) And then Harris punches Nick Cage and puts a knife to his mom's throat. Is his mom or girlfriend? His mom, isn't it? I think he grabs a girlfriend. Ah, whatever. He grabs some lady. He grabs a lady and he threatens These characters aren't exactly deep and fleshed out, you know? (laughs) So, yeah. So, he's trying to build um, both fortune, but I think more than that, he wants to be historically significant. He wants his family to have a name. Yeah, that's true. He wants his family to be held in the same esteem as the Gates family. Yes. So they make a deal. Nick is going to hold open a door that allows them to escape through and then let it down once they have passed through so that they don't drown on their exit. It doesn't quite go that smoothly, though. No, this is a Disney movie. So in the end, it turns out Ed Harris is not totally evil. Because of, like, their position in the room, he and Nick Cage end up in a situation where if Harris opens the door, Cage will just wash out. So there's really no way for Harris to escape at this point. So he does the noble thing and opens it for Cage after first just asking that he, you know, tell the world that it was Ed Harris who discovered the City of Gold. So he ends up not being a totally evil guy. Fucking Disney. (laughs) Uh, And now we get what is just an elaborate series of happy ending moments. The president pardons Cage for the kidnapping. His girlfriend asks him to move back in with her. Someone recognizes Riley from his book. And in our final scene, he discovers his Ferrari back outside his house with a letter from the president that says, tax-free. But they can't resist the urge to try to cram some humor in here. Riley says, I love this car, then immediately backs it into something. Fuck. (laughs) Yes, everything gets resolved and there is a happy ending. Um, It's interesting here that the... You said, yes, it's a Disney movie. That's why the evil character kind of does the right thing at the end. Of course, Nick Cage and his ex-girlfriend are back together. Oh, 100%. And his parents, too. His parents are back together. So old people are banging. Nick Cage is banging. Um, Riley is going to get to bang, which seems surprising to me. Yeah, some girl's like, hey, you're that guy who wrote that book. Do me. Yeah, pretty much. And then he drops all of his stuff because his erection gets in the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I hated that it ended on him and that Ferrari, though. He is not an important enough character, in my opinion, to warrant being like the button on this movie. Yeah, I didn't yeah. I didn't like that moment at all. I thought that was really annoying. I thought, one, it was an inappropriate use of presidential powers to give a misprint. <laughs> <laughs> and two, I thought, on, man. I thought him backing it into uh, that other car was just so annoying. It was just well, he's like... he's a bozo. That's his character. He's a bozo. I know, but why would you end it on that? Just finish off I with agree. them all making out in like under fireworks and like being happy right like why why didn't it just end that way i don't know man but we're in the credits now they kind of teased us with a possible sequel with the whole uh page 47 thing the president acting this cage about any report regarding what's on page 47 i believe i can help with that sir so it's good life altering sir seemingly a plot for a sequel which we are apparently going to get that sequel is actually going to happen some 17 years after this one. So keep an eye out for National Treasure 3. Who gives a fuck hitting theaters in 2024? <laughs> you mean you're not going to go see it? Uh, I doubt that greatly. We're going to go see it opening night. Oh, no? fuck me. Are yeah. you serious? Yeah, That's a terrible idea. I mean, you watched it with your kids. 
kids enjoy this or what? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, they enjoyed it uh, in terms of, I think we can start getting into our ratings. Um, no, you know what? Sure, this movie didn't bother dwelling on anything for longer than 15 seconds. Why should we dwell on it? Let's get right to our ratings. The way we do this, we rate the movie on a scale of 1 to 10 two times. 1 to 10 for how bad it is. 1 to 10 for how enjoyable. And the goal is to find movies that are a 10 out of 10 on both scales. Or what we call the Crit 20. And I got to say, man, this is pretty fucking bad, I think. Like, so many parts of this are ridiculous. But perhaps the most ridiculous, and I've already alluded to this, is the pace. This is breezy, especially for a movie that's over two hours long. But it's, like, too breezy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he figures out these clues yeah. and these scenes happen so fast that I had a really hard time getting invested. It's literally like Nick Cage sees object, immediately figures out the clue hidden object off to the next location. And they just repeat that like 17 times. That's fair. Um, the speed at which we travel through and find everything is so fast, which is why I think it works well for kids. Short attention span? Yeah. Yeah. Like I think that has to be kind of in mind. As an adult viewer, it's really frustrating how quickly they solve all of these things. But for children, I think they appreciate how quickly they're moving from thing to thing and not dwelling. If you say so. Now, I'm going to contradict myself here because I just said the most ridiculous part might be the pace. That's not true. The most ridiculous part is the whole kidnapping the president thing. Not only would it never happen, but he would never have been able to get in or out of the Library of Congress or get to Mount Rushmore or really any of the things. This is honestly maybe one of the most unrealistic things I've ever seen in a movie. Or at least a movie that is supposed to take place in real life. Yeah. The whole even like just abducting him and having a conversation with him and then getting to find out about the secret book. Even going to Buckingham Palace and getting into that desk with like fairly little problems. No one's in that room. Yeah. That is the most ludicrous part about this whole series. Um, It's the fact that they are able to pull off this shit and not be in jail. Yes. And he should have been arrested. Yes. Oh, my God. They would have shot him. They would have shot him many times over. Um, The acting in this is so-so. There are some talented actors in this movie, but they aren't really asked to do anything. This is a whole bunch of, like, forgettable performances. In fact, forgettable is the perfect word to describe this movie. So much of it, from the acting to the effects to the music, is thoroughly forgettable. And with that in mind, I'm going to give this a nine bad. That's interesting. Um, So the parts that I had for bad were definitely how ludicrous the plot and or solutions to all the problems were, the fact that they were able to pull all of this off, the fact that they were, like, fictionizing so much of that history and, like, doing it for entertainment. The convenient timing was super frustrating, just, like, his ex showing up at Buckingham Palace, the bad guy also being there at the same fucking time. Like, everything always worked out in a ridiculous way. It made sense for Ed Harris to be there. He was fucking tracking him. It did not make sense for his ex-wife to be there. Yeah, just the fact that they were always there at the exact time, like, the fact that they could pull it off each time seemed, seemed frustrating to me. Um, it is a sequel too. It is a cash in yeah, on yeah, a movie that was already like, I guess, obviously it was uh, financially successful or they wouldn't have made another one. I guess. Oh, it's taking them 17 years to make a sequel. Was this very similar to the first one? Yes. So that's also maybe an issue if it's just like they're just rehashing the same thing. Same, same kind of thing happens there. There is ridiculous like clues that are solved too quickly and they're moving through and they also have a bad guy who's pushing for the same thing. So it feels very much like the other one. Um, In terms of the, like, sound and music and editing and all of those things, the effects, I actually thought they were done well. And I think that's just Disney budget. All the CG shit at the end, it's so noticeably CG. See, I didn't notice it that way. I I didn't feel like it was that bad. The city of gold, it looks like fucking computer art. It doesn't look real. And that didn't stand out to me. I didn't feel that way looking at it or watching it. So, I don't know. Um... It's it's so interesting because it's hard from a production standpoint. I actually didn't think the acting was bad. I do agree that they weren't given a ton to no. do, but I thought all of the performers did what they were supposed to. Cage, of course, is over the top and entertaining in a cage way. Not, uh, see, not I don't good, know. I, I feel like that's... I, well, we'll talk about this in a second. It's enjoyable, but I feel like I didn't get enough of the... You didn't get enough the of the cage yeah, I like. That's fair. But I, I only had this as a seven bad. So I wasn't yeah, nearly okay. as far as you on the bad scale there. That's fair. But how enjoyable did you find it? I mean, we talked about how quick and how much they pushed the plot. And I think that worked for me. Like the plot itself was ridiculous. Um, and the fact that it moved on so quickly was at times frustrating, but also helped keep me engaged. Like there was never a point where I was looking at the clock in a two hour movie. 
I am a bit of a history and politics nerd, so the kind of themes in it, despite them being like almost pornographic in their way that they talk about it or do it, right? Like it's way over the top and super unrealistic, but I enjoy that kind of treasure hunting. Like I love the Indiana Jones movies too. Oh God, who doesn't? And I mean, you can't... It's hard to compare things to those. It's not hard to compare things to those. Those are much, much better than this. What about... Well, not Crystal Skull. That's what I was going to say, right? Like, (laughs) would you rather the National Treasures be in place of Crystal Skull? And I think you'd have to say yes. I would rather watch this or... I've never seen the original National Treasure, but I would rather watch that any day of the week than Crystal Skull. Yes. So so it's interesting to me to think about it in that sort of genre. Um, I thought the music and sound worked well. They didn't stand out, but I thought that they were effective at creating their mood. I didn't dislike watching this. I had a good time watching it with my kids. There's lots of kids' movies I watch with them that I would rather watch this. I had it as a seven. Yeah. See, we're coming from two different places on this. Again, I'm sure the experience of watching it with your children is a very different experience than me watching it like by myself. Much like yourself, I, I like fucking treasure hunts. I enjoyed the historical elements of this. But as we've both said... These scenes happen so fast that I couldn't really get invested. Like, I would have loved to spend some more time on them uncovering and dwelling on the history. And they're just burning through these things, man. Yeah, you needed to watch the first one. You got to have full context here. I don't think the absence of context (laughs) was the problem. It was the speed at which they're just, like, filing past these things without actually taking any time to, like, you know, give me some fucking mystery. Give me whatever. There's no time for any of this stuff to build. It's just boom, boom, boom. So that's a big problem I have with it. Other than the scene in Buckingham Palace, Cage is really restrained here. Like, it's so clearly a family-friendly performance, and I like him a little more edgy. (laughs) My my Cage uh, appetite has not been satisfied here. The fact that this thing was Disney-fied means there really weren't any stakes. Like, I never felt like any of the characters were in danger. We knew this was going to end with Nick Cage discovering the City of Gold, and those boundaries being so clearly defined took me out of it. Like, I feel like I would love to watch a grown-up version of this movie. But at least it didn't feel long, so there's that. <laughs> That's interesting. I'm trying to picture now what a grown-up version of this would be. Like, he would have found uh, Phil from Modern Family f***ing his ex, right? And then he would have murdered him. Like, is that Jesus Christ, what on earth? Like, this would have gotten a lot darker. His parents would have banged in the temple, and, like, he would have seen some, like... I, I You're making it very sexual. I don't understand why. I, well, what is, is the difference? You know, it's just more like, it was the violence that you Actual like stakes. Maybe yeah. one or two of these, his crew gets killed or something. Someone gets shot. You I don't know. You just wanted to see Riley die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that would have... Well, I wonder... So, we're going to get your enjoyability score. Would it have I'll been, tell you what, uh, No, it's, it's low. My enjoyability score, I think it's a four. Okay. Would it have pushed it up to a six if Riley took it? <laughs> no, it would push it up to a five. Probably. All right, okay. Yeah. One more for a Riley death. No, I like that. I mean, Mitch honestly, died. Mitch no, dies. There's... The bad guy dies in this. Oh, I guess that's true, but you don't really see. He dies a hero, which I didn't like either. <laughs> no, I don't know. It, like, it, it's just, it just, it's a kid's movie, and there's elements here that I wish I was watching in a movie that actually had some stakes. That's all. That's so fair. I, I mean, that is a four. Yeah, you're not, it's, it's, not for you as sort of uh, engaging if you know the results before. My right? Nick yeah. Cage appetite has not been satisfied. Right. That's fair. That's fair. What about your appetite for delicious beer? Well, that uh, has not been satisfied either, but not because the beer is bad, because it's good. I have just mowed through my half of this six pack. This is so smooth and crisp, delicious. Really, really, really enjoy this. Capital Light. This is an absolute crusher and uh, a tasty one at that. So Kushnock Brewing Co. Good stuff. Yeah, I think they've done a really good job here. Uh, Really, really light. Fairly highly carbonated, it feels like. Almost like effervescent. It reminds me almost of the champagne beer we had in season one. Yeah, the brewed IPA. Once I pour this, man, you can see the bubbles coming up from the bottom. I fucking love that. Yeah, so so really, really good. I've crushed two and a half of mine already, too. I'm finishing off the end of my third one here. No problem. Uh, So I would definitely recommend Kushnock. I love their dad pants IPA. That was really good too. And they have a bunch of other selections. It looks like they have a really cool spot too with good food too. So if you're in Augusta, Maine, definitely check out Kushnock. Yeah, my brother said it was really cool. And uh, this beer, again, just I would break into the Oval Office to drink this beer. (laughs) I would break into Buckingham Palace. There you go. Yeah, so the two of us will sit at our twin desk chugging a Kushnock. Uh, (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Capital Light. As we both get arrested and sent to jail for the remainder of our lives. No, you can drink this so fast, you'd be out of there in no time. Ooh, yeah. Sit at that desk, cash a sixer, and you're out the door. I love the historical connection between this brewery and our movie, too. It just worked out really, really nicely. So uh, thank you for the beer, Scott. 
And yeah. uh, thank you for finding a movie to go so well with it here. And thank you, Kushnock, for making something so delicious. Now, if you like history, next week's movie might just be right up your alley because next week's movie is apparently partially based on a true story. Okay. We got a request uh, a while back that was not for a movie. It was for a beer. Someone sent us a beer request, and we had to pair a movie with that beer. And the beer is Voodoo Ranger IPA, pretty popular IPA, can be found in most places. And I had to find a voodoo movie to pair with this. So next week, we're going to be watching The Serpent and the Rainbow. Are you familiar with this? No. It's a Wes Craven movie from the 80s, and it has to do with basically a scientist, some kind of like anthropologist, who goes to Haiti to try and find this potion, this powder that can make people appear dead without actually being dead. Huh. And it's Wes Craven, and I guess it's going to be scary, although it doesn't really sound like typical Craven. I'm excited. I, I like Wes Craven's films. So that's interesting. I don't know much about uh, voodoo, and I'm a little concerned about the things that... Uh, you're going to see and hear? In this yeah, movie? maybe a little bit. I'm also worried, hopefully, I don't say things offensive related to it, but uh, we'll see when we get there. I hope this is a bad movie. I've never seen this or heard of it. It wasn't until I Googled movies about voodoo that I saw this, and I was like, that might work. You know, it's the 80s, so you got to assume the effects are going to be whatever, but maybe it'll be, like, really good, and we'll be like, oh, fuck. What did we do? This will be Top Gun 2. We'll have nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about how good it is. Um, so we'll do it. I'm excited. So The Serpent and the Rainbow. Yeah, you're probably excited for that fucking IPA, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I had a good little day today with this uh, light lager, but that's out the window next week. <laughs> so uh, please join us for The Serpent and the Rainbow. But before then, if you have not already, follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to send us emails, thebmbpodcast at gmail.com. Definitely. We love to hear from you. We thank you for listening today. We hope you'll join us next week for a uh, beer request. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep kidnapping the president. <laughs> Please don't kidnap no, the president. Don't, don't, don't do that at all. The world's biggest treasure hunt. 